everyone, welcome to episode 13 of the Board Game Gambit podcast. Today's episode, we're in this together. We're talking about team games and what we like about them, what we don't like about them, and some of our favorites. So, Jackie, how are you today? Doing fine. Hi, Nathan. It's good. It's good. We are at the end of the week after 4th of July break, which I spent camping and obviously playing board games and <laughs> when i was telling my parents oh you're going camping so w- did you bring some car games and i was like oh no 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 no! we went camping with actual games sure we played the occasional anabi but we had euros and all of that and playing them in a camping setting has its own sets of challenges but we made it so it was a good camping trip i'm very happy that things are opening up again a little bit to the point that i can go hiking where there are no other people and also the weather is getting better although today is proving me wrong because uh, a big storm is coming but things are looking up i guess it couldn't be much worse than than march so i'm happy that things are getting better so i brought as usual more games than we could play but we played abyss actually which i hadn't played in a little while not super long but it's the favorite game or among the favorite games of my friends john and chris and so when we were getting together quite regularly especially before Christmas our schedule worked very well and we met basically every week or last summer we were playing this a lot but I hadn't been playing it enough recently so Abyss is a game is now comparatively old 2014 I think came out and it's by Bruno Catala together with Charles Chevalier the artist is Xavier Collette so not bringing anything particularly clever to the table I've heard this said multiple times but I do agree that Abyss is a game that is by far more famous for its art and for its general art design than for its game. They came out with an art book way before art books were the cool thing to do with Kickstarter. This was not a Kickstarter. And when it was released, it was released with four different covers. The cover on the front does not bear the name of the game. It has only these very evocative four different faces of underwater lords. And so it's a game that is often mentioned for artistic purposes and we don't talk about enough as a game. And this first and foremost, a game. Have you played Abyss? I love Abyss. Did you play it with the expansion? We played it with the one expansion that I own and from what I've seen, the only one that I want to own, (laughs) uh, which is the... Not the Leviathan, the Kraken, or whatever it is called. So good, so good. So, for those who haven't seen it, Abyss, first of all, go see it. Go check it out just to see at least the images. It's really, really pretty. So the game, you are competing to gain the support, basically get the cards, buy the cards <laughs> of different lords. And these are characterized by their color. There are five or six with expansion different affiliations by their cost. And the way cost works is a little interesting you have a number that you need to reach and the number of colors that you are allowed and required to use so for example there could be a lord that requires a total of 12 valuing cards only yellow all yellow cards or another one that has oh you need to get to nine and you must use blue and another color so you need to have two colors and you can only use two colors and third they have special powers either ongoing or when you get them so to get these cards that you need to get the lords which is in the end the ultimate goal of the game get good lords that combine well to get powers and points you have an interesting mechanism that is exploration you basically flip cards 
and other people can buy them from you for an increasing number of pearls. Pearls are flexible. They do a couple of minor things for you, including providing discounts for lords. But the basic thing is I flip the card. Everyone else has a chance to buy it from me before I get to decide whether I want it or not. And we keep going until either something makes it back to me and I decide to take it or I reach the end of the space <laughs> for these cards and then I get whatever I was dealt plus a pearl. So the other players are trying to balance not wanting to pay for something that is not interesting with the risk of getting absolutely nothing if I decide to take that not interesting card or if I reach the end of the track. Whatever I haven't taken goes into stacks of different colors and the other thing that you can do in the game is take a stack. So the game is a lot of how much can I acquire of the writings I want and how much I have to make do with what is coming out. Do I wait for the perfect lord? Do I wait for the perfect card? Or do I snatch a card because the card is better than nothing and build up to that one lord that is out right now? There are a couple of other rules, like there are monsters that is um, increasing crack, and there are locations that certain lords can give you access to that are basically, you renounce the lord's ongoing power, but you get other conditional points but those are details at this point i love it it was great to revisit it it is a tense game in that the pace can change very quickly at first you're all acquiring cards and no one has the right cards you start with absolute none of these cards that are the resource of the game but then it uh, ramps up quickly yeah it's a it's a great game i think that it is such a good amount of tension deciding how many cards you want to flip and knowing that this can definitely change the game because if other people get the certain card that they're waiting for then you are handing them things that they need the big thing about this game is the number of pearls that you have because i know anna really loves to to ask everyone, how many pearls do you have? Everyone. <laughs> True. At the same time, there was a big miss there. So you need to know how many pearls are there. And they made the containers opaque. You cannot see in them, which was a big miss. For the expansion, they come with one transparent container. And it's an important element of the game that is supposed to be public. And you're going around asking, which... Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, it's that balance between what, how many do I want? How many things am I willing to give away to people in order to find the card that I'm looking for? And it's so good. I love the mechanism of affiliating the different people to score points at the end. I think that that's a really smart thing, the way that they did that. I do also like press your luck elements of games, but this one doesn't seem too punishing because you're still getting stuff. Even if you go the whole way and don't collect any cards, you're still getting, you still get a pearl at the end. So sometimes it's it's worth it just for that. I think it's a really good game. The dark pearls are punishing. <laughs> Yes, and I was thinking that if you like push your luck, the expansion adds these dark pearls. Basically, there are cards that are wild, but they punish you more or less with this nebulous, the dark pearls that are worth negative points at the end of the game, plus extra negative points for whoever has the most and attracts the Kraken. But at the same time, even they can be used. There are tricky ways to use them. But so if you, especially if you get them early on, that can become an asset. You are unloading negative points onto someone else, but you've got to use the wild card and you're getting to use the nebulous. So there is something to be said about that. And the other thing is that they include push your luck location. So these 
conditional scoring that you can trigger, they offer you an alternative of instead of going for these basic modular scoring, score X points for these many yellow lords that you have or things like that, there is instead the push your luck mechanic, the treasure locations, which is great. I think your own Kraken, right? So yep. I think that that would also be something that you really like. Yeah, I do like those locations. It's weird that there's these little push your luck elements in it because like you said it is a euro so it's a lot of planning and a lot of things like that but i don't feel like the push your luck element is something that if people really like push your luck games i don't think there's enough push your luck in it to make it too luck based but i also don't think that if you really like just like strict euros that push your luck element is too much so that it wouldn't be a reason for me to not look at the game if I didn't like push your luck elements because it's very it's a very very small part of the game. Yeah, I agree especially without the expansion those locations can be a little tricky because they can range in points from zero to basically 20 points but you don't need to right if you feel that uh, push your luck is going to be problematic you can just simply choose another one get your guaranteed 12 13 points sit in the middle and play it safe and the push your luck in the exploration phase in the basic game doesn't seem to me while i I do understand while it is technically a push your luck event uh, you can try to look for the good card but that is very much mitigated by the fact that other people have first choice although it costs them an increasing amount of pearls. And so if you're lucky, it means that other people have already taken something that they want, maybe not as good as the one card that you flip at the very last moment, but it's normally a case where they already got something. And so there is there is that balance. And so, yeah, that was a big, <laughs> a big camping trip game. Uh, it's <laughs> interesting. We were camping in the same large area with uh, Ryan's dad, and so he was looking at us playing and at first we started with small card games. So it was like, oh, you're playing a card game. And yes, sure, only it's Grizzle. So we're playing together, trying to survive the war. And then got increasingly more, more busy and more stuff on the table. And as usual, people who don't play hobby games often, the one thing that surprised them the most was that we were switching through games. So he would ask, oh, are you playing the animal game or whatever again? And we were like, nope, this is a different one. <laughs> like, oh, you have you have a lot. And we had like a, a large convention bag, so probably 10 games worth. Oh, wow. Oh, oh yes, we do. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. It was fun. It was uh, great playing by lamplight at night, trying to survive the mosquitoes. Did you bring, did you bring something like thematic? Who goes there or... <laughs> I forgot bears. Oh no, that is the worst. You're canceled. <laughs> I am canceled. To be fair, I don't want to play bears, which is a fronting game where dice get thrown on the ground a lot and maybe lost in the wilderness. That's true. I'll allow it this time. Thank you, my good sir. <laughs> so I met with some people because also the restrictions are lifting here. So me and two of my friends got together for a game day and we were so excited. Well, first, let me preface why we did this. But so first, I don't know if you've seen, but on Queen Games, they've been sort of teasing this little project with Steffenfeld. Have you been following it? Oh, yes. And that's a big problem. 
I know. So what they've been doing with this campaign has been really smart. They've first said Feld, which I'm already giving them money. So there's that. But they also said that it's city collection. So it's different cities and it's a mixture of reprints and new games. So everyone is like trying to figure out first, they were trying to figure out where these cities were because it was just these silhouettes of these buildings that are going to be on the sides of the games, which make a panorama as you put them next to each other. It's really cool looking. And then, then they release the names of the games and now people are trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we think is being reprinted? What do you think is the new one? And then now the most recent thing is they released some like components that are coming out. And they did have a bunch of little action cubes. And to my knowledge, there is no other Feld game that uses these little action cubes besides Macau. If they are using also the dice, if they're all from the same game, first, why those colors? But okay. <laughs> but second, technically Amerigo uses uses cubes. Oh, boo. These two first game will need definitely need the dice and possibly even the cubes. I am conflicted. I am actually not liking what I'm seeing about the dice. And that's basically good because I like, we talked about this before. I like my fouls. I like them. And the allure of the series, it's very cool when I look at the profile and all of that. At the same time, when I look at my foul shelf, I'm happy. They are colorful, they are different, and they are mostly the same size. There are a few outliers, which that wouldn't solve, because I, they're not definitely remaking Merlin. They're not redoing Forum Trajanum, for which they don't even have the English rights. And I don't think they're publishing old stuff like Strasbourg that are not as successful. So it would be to rebuy probably... Macau and Bruges and make it maybe the Spiegelstadt, which I really don't like. And so I think I won't end up getting it, but I have, they say the, the road to hell is paved in gold or whatever it is. <laughs> so, yeah, I have seen that. So, but you were getting to, to your day. Yes. So the whole point of, of that story and they're coming to Kickstarter. So that's... A problem but okay so so i the reason why i think it's a problem is because i have another felt game that is pending still that i'm going to briefly talk about because we just got an update yesterday you didn't back it so you don't know about the drama yet no what is it luna from tmg oh the the luxified version the expected delivery of Luna was September of 2019. Oh, I didn't realize it was already late. And they've been like posting sporadic updates and saying, oh, you know, we're, we're working on it. We're, you know, things have been hard with the pandemic and all this stuff, which is understandable. I get it. You know, just keep the lines of communication open. Make sure you're being transparent. Make sure that everyone understands what's going on because for me and for a bunch of people this was not a cheap game it was 88 dollars yeah i i don't get it you know that i think luna was perfectly fine i know i was just hoping that it was gonna i like the deluxified versions of things i think that they're cool looking and i was just excited to get another deluxified version of something on my shelf the most recent update if you go to their kickstarter you can see it 
it just says that the person who's been giving the updates is no longer giving updates. They said someone else is going to take care of the updates. And this has been over a month since the last update. And the last update was, we're so sorry that we're not talking about it. We're so sorry that the everything's been so delayed and all this. And then this most recent update is, I'm not doing this anymore. So a lot of people are very mad. <laughs> very, very mad. But before this radio silence, what was the last the last information you had? It was that it was coming. Like that it was that they're sitting in a warehouse somewhere and that they're they were trying to get them through distributed through Amazon and then I guess it didn't work. So then they went to a different company and then the different company was more expensive. And then Amazon decided, oh no, we're gonna start shipping third party stuff again. They took everything out of Amazon and put it into shipping into this other company. And then they went back to Amazon when they said that they were shipping third-party stuff again. And I guess they went like to the back of the queue mm-hmm. of all these things that are trying to be shipped. So I don't know. It's So that's what makes me a little bit wary of it being on Kickstarter. I, I just want my game. <laughs> Yes, I went browsing through that. It seems like they are in the US and sure, they're trying to figure out the distribution model, but TMG is not a company that is going anywhere. So it's not they are, oh, we'll just offload them on the market and disappear. So I think it's just a matter of more more lateness, more delays, but it seems like they are they are coming. As you know, I didn't understand the allure of this one in particular. I like the the wooden components in in Luna. Uh, sure, this gets you the favor tokens, which are I guess are cool in in wood, and the islands are thicker and double layered. But compared to other deluxified projects, I didn't get the the allure. Also, I'm trying very hard to draw the line at not buying games that I own again. I I might <laughs> fail on certain things, but I will. I will try to stay true to that principle. So okay, so but that's why I'm con- concerned that they're on Kickstarter because didn't you also have an issue with Queen Games? Oh, Queen Games! I will never ever ever back another of their Kickstarter projects again. I mean, I guess the exception was when I asked you to get the expansion to Merlin for me, but I really don't want to deal with them. They are always late. Their quality is fine. At least as far as I know, I don't think that they have uh, production problems, but they are late by an incredible degree, especially when they are, even when they are reprinting games that they have already finished. And they are the most untransparent and sometimes flat out i'm not saying they all like that but the people i interacted with i don't know the names i don't know who in the company have been strictly dishonest to me saying oh yeah they are in a track they will be distributed this week but uh, you told me this a month ago no no it's this week and that was two months before i received my game and i was lucky i was among the first ones to get it and so it's you were saying that they disappeared with the update uh, and it's bad. They should keep you up to date. But that still beats saying, oh, they're going out this week. Because one thing is saying they're going out in two months. A lot of things can come in two months. But if you're telling me they're going out this week, it means you know that they're going out this week. There is no, oh, 
oh no, by the way, two months delay happened. That that's not a thing. I I can I can do I, I do like Queen Games production, although they went through a period in which they were just churnishing out as many games as they could. I remember the period in which they were doing Perform and all of those minor bland Euro games just to put them out there. Now they have gotten into some more, I guess, substantial presence. Although, yeah, that never never kickstarted with them again. Also, they're usually very costly. They cost almost as much as games with miniatures, which are costly enough on their own, and but at least they are justified in the production. It's it's like I think like Merlin went for over seventy dollars in the original Kickstarter, and considering they are cutting off distributor and they are not putting any premium components, it's really hard for me to justify. So with all of that, that was a very roundabout way of bringing us to the point that I was trying to make, which is so they're getting ready to release new slash reprinted felds which I'm excited about, despite the fact that it's on Kickstarter. So we decided to have a Feld Day. Not a Field Day, a Feld Day. So we played four different Feld games, of which I won two. And we played Bruges, which I won, Macau, which I won, Trajan, and Merlin. I don't know why I'm so bad at Merlin. So was that friend that you always talk about that really likes Feld and introduced you to a bunch of them there to play Feld with you? Which friend is that? Me. Oh, no. No, you weren't there. Yeah, that, that, that sounds familiar. No, I'm joking. I'm very uh, glad. A little ambious, but I'm very glad that you got to play them in a row and uh, go through his, his work in a day. So is Merlin your favorite of those? Macau is getting higher in my Feld rankings Good. than Good. I even knew. Merlin I really like, but I feel... I don't know why I'm I'm literally don't think I've ever won a game of it ever. And I've played it at least almost a dozen times. Mm-hmm. I just never have won it. I don't know why. So Bruges was awesome. We've talked about all of these already, but it was just kind of cool to, to explore his different mechanics. So Bruges has the multi-use cards. Macau has the action rondelle with the action cubes. Yeah. And I feel like that's the one that's the one that we haven't talked about here before Trajan, mainly because had you played it before no and i didn't have a great experience with it the few times i played it i so Trajan, you can correct me because i have not played it in a long time but i seem to (laughs) to remember that there is different areas where doing different scoring a la feld but the way you go after that in Castle Burgundy is rolling your two dice. In Macau is getting the cubes and doing your things. In Rouge, you draft the end. And in uh, Trajan, you could do this mancala with cubes. You're trying to pick up all of the cubes from one place, drop one at a time, and where you land, that's what determines what actions you're taking that turn or something like that, right? Yep. Nope, that's right. And I felt that... So a criticism that is often leveled to Feld and other point-solid games is that you do all these different scoring that are not really connected to one another. And I obviously don't think that's true. That's Otherwise, I wouldn't like his designs in general. But I do feel that for Trajan, that's more appropriate than for other things. And I remember that what particularly rubbed me the wrong way is that while you are concerned about what to do, there are also... Things that you need to keep just to meet certain scoring requirements at the end of every couple of turns or things like that. You need to have some red and you need to have some money or whatever. 
And but specifically, what I really didn't like was that there were sensible, significant bonuses for making a certain configuration of cubes happen in your Mancala that felt to me built on top of everything else. So it's, oh, I'm trying to be efficient. I'm trying to maneuver all these mini games, which is fine. It would be hypocritical for me to say, oh, that's something I don't like because that's certainly the case in Aquasphere. That's certainly the case in Bora Bora. That all of those have these multiple mini games managing at the same time feeling. But there was also something that was very rewarding if you could care about it in the action selection so it's as if oh you're drafting cards but if you got cards with this specific image you got another little bonus and that really didn't work for me i mean i didn't hate it i wouldn't flat out refuse playing it which as you know it it is a thing with me and games sometimes i just don't want to play something but considering how much i like his stuff I really, really don't want to revisit. It wasn't as fun for me. What was your impression, though? I thought it was good. I really thought that the mechanism was fun, and it. I liked the little like puzzliness of it. I do like games that sort of rack your brain to try and figure out the best way to do something. And I feel like what you didn't like about it is what I actually liked about it. Because otherwise, if you didn't have this where you needed to have certain cubes in there, you wouldn't even need them to be different colors. You could just pick them up and drop them around. And then that would just be very boring, I feel like. Not that adding this little bit of color and the configuration of of different colors makes the game amazing or that it makes it great. But I feel like to go the opposite way would be would be boring. The problem is that I think I agree, which highlights the problem with the game with me is two boring things combined to make them uh, uh, pay some more attention to these boring things. Is look, your boredom (laughs) is now in full color. Now you can be bored with old friend and family in an all new brand shiny color for a completely unrelated bonus. And that's, that's not me. I like my games to get together a little uh, nicer. But still, a fell day sounds like divine. We did it once before, long before the pandemic, long before meeting you. We had 12 people all playing fell games the entire day here. That's something that oh, wow. we should do again. Yeah, it was cool. And someone was playing Strasbourg while others were playing Rialto. I think someone brought one of these very old ones, the Ram one, which I've never played. It was nice. That's cool. That's cool. I played a few more things, but okay. rather than going through all of those, we can talk about them next time since we have gone quite a bit of time now with our introduction of what we talked. So one thing that we had discussed about doing was, and that's particularly interesting, I think, to those who, who like the fact that we are not up and ready with all of the new stuff all the time, was to choose a game that we both know and try to get into some details about that and why we like that game and what has stayed of a game that is old and true. And the one that we discussed talking about was Village. So this was something that I had been thinking about for a while. And what I wanted to have was a game that we had both played, that we both knew, and that we could discuss with some method rather than my ramblings that sometimes I go into. So <laughs> why don't I let you take the the point here and 
tell us about Village a little bit. Sure. Village, which I played yesterday with Scott, with one of the expansions, which I hadn't played before. So Village is an action drafting game where you are taking cubes to perform actions at different locations around the village. And you are you have workers, so sometimes you need workers to go to the different places. And then you have a third thing to manage, which is time. So time is a huge resource that you have to manage very carefully in this game. So time dictates when one of your family members dies and you always are removing from the board your lowest number because they're the quote-unquote oldest so you want them to die doing something memorable so that they end up in the book of memories and the book has certain number of spaces for different actions so if someone dies on your farm they go into the book under the farm section there's so many different things going on so there's there's farming where you can get grain and if you have animals and a plow you can get more grain You can be more efficient getting the grain. Then there's the crafting section where you can train some somebody to become proficient in making specific things like scrolls or raising animals or crafting wagons. Not craft wagon, but crafting wagons. <laughs> And then there is the market where you can sell goods. There is a travel section where you can travel along a road and get different little bonuses and that's a huge way to score points at the end of the game if you travel everywhere or at least get rid of all of your discs and then there's the place where you can get a new family member or recall someone from the board there is the town hall where you can get first player you can get stuff yeah yeah more cubes more things and that's everything the church did you mention the church oh no i always ignore the church <laughs> okay and then there's the church where you can put people into the church training for the church and the person who has the majority in the church gets two points or if you are tied for the church the person who has the leftmost person in the church yeah so you send them in this training they, they go away to become monks which means physically in the game they go into a bag and some of them come out every round so if you send someone to train as a monk you don't know when they will come back and since the mass these two points are given out each turn you may want to pay for the trip back which means you take them out of the bag that's it's interesting because it's a game that is definitely mechanism heavy but it has all of these very thematic things you can you get you're not as efficient in getting uh, grains compacted and collected if you don't have a plow and an animal and you cannot do that if no one is in your farm and the traveling to travel obviously you need a wagon and some time although i might have misunderstood what you were saying but you cannot drop two discs on the same location so to drop all of your discs you need to travel to all places and i think that there are two things that i really like about village one is as you mentioned that it makes time a crucial element of the game both in rule terms the time passes and has effects and thematically uh, you are constantly seeing uh, like the the little meeples have generations and that means something whenever you get new ones that you work through the generations and whenever your time reaches a certain level you have to kill the older generation 
uh, let them die and the fact that they need the spot in the tomb or in the grave, whatever, it means that it creates a mechanism where at the beginning you actually want the right people to die to occupy the spot and later on instead, and also time is a very cheap resource at the beginning. So whenever you do something, you can offer you often, not always, but often have the choice to pay with either these cubes that you are collecting. Every time you take an action, you collect the cube, but then you spend the cube as part of the requirement to other actions. But at the beginning, almost all actions, you can skip the cube's requirement and substitute it with time. And at the beginning, you're doing that a lot because you don't have a lot of cubes and because you are fine with people getting old and dying in position of power and bringing prestige to your family. But then... When the game progresses, your resources grow because you have been collecting all of these cubes and vice versa, your time starts to run out, starts to dwindle. Oh, now this guy would die here. A, wouldn't have a space in the write the chronicle book and it would end in the unmarked grave. And B, I need him there. I need what he's doing. So maybe I won't use time. I will spend these precious cubes, which I have collected. But I also need the cubes for the uh, resources that always require them. So what am I going to do? And that's the same with the, with the market. So you mentioned that you, you sell the stuff that you produce at the market. But contrary to other games, you don't have stuff that you use for your engine and then stuff that you spend for points. Those are the same things. So the wagon you use for traveling, the animals you use them for farming, the scrolls you use them to buy benevolence into the politics, basically to move on the town hall track. And all of that, again, at the beginning, you definitely want them to be able to do what you're doing, but then you have to spend them at the market. And if you ignore the market, those are easy straight up points vice versa if you sell everything that you have at the market first you need to be able to which is not that easy because the market has a rotating set of customers that slowly come out and you have to plan for the customers that are coming rather than getting what you have and then hoping for the right customer to come out but if you sell everything then people know that you cannot take certain actions or at least not take them efficiently and that's another element and so this constant balance between how the game mutates on you and you doing the same exact thing completely changes your perspective it's i think it's great i absolutely love it it's it's a game that is now not super new so it's from 2011 and it's from that great period. I remember my first game of this. It was a TotalCon, and we discovered in the same convention this Tolkien and Castle of Burgundy. It was early on, and we went home and ordered all three uh, on Amazon. <laughs> uh, and it's solid choices, solid choices. Oh, it was a great era of discovery for me. And it's by Inca Brand and Marcus Brand. A couple. The, the art is by Dennis Lohausen. That I must say. I really like the ensemble uh, visually of the game. I don't think the art is spectacular. I mean, with respect to the fact that he's clearly a good professional uh, designer and artist in, in his own right. I'm not saying it's bad art, but compared to other games, take Abyss. Abyss is something that I would immediately mention. This is that Menzel style, I feel, art, uh, just not as yeah. evocative. And it has definitely stood the, the test of time. I think the mechanics are still great. Uh, you mentioned the expansion. I haven't played the port, but I do like the inn 
expansion, although it's definitely not one of those that radically changes or makes the game so much deeper and so much nuanced. It's a nice addition. The one that I've played, which is the Inn, well, allows you to play with five players, which I don't particularly care about, but also it gives you another thing that you can do. You can make ale and go to the Inn and use the ale to ingratiate travelers to come and visit your family and give you some bonus. So there are one-time expandable things, but they're not crazy and they're not even outside the realm of what you can already do so one of these guys will give you additional points for traveling another of these guys will let you convert certain color cubes into points which i think that in a way you can already do is just another set of options so i really like that expansion yeah we actually um i've played with that expansion before that isn't the expansion that we played with we played with port which is the second expansion Mm -hmm. it was very different. I feel like it made the game very different. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you know? Do you know much about it? No, because I. What is my understanding? But I might be wrong. Is that it replaces travel, and travel is one of our favorite mechanics from the basic game. So we didn't want to touch it. Yep. So I we played it, and yes, it, I think that's another thing to mention is that. The expansions are so cool in the sense that they're with other other games and other expansions. They're you know add-on boards or or completely different boards or different components. These expansions literally go onto the board and cover up and fit seamlessly into the art that's already there. So they seem really thought out and really the graphic design of them seems really thought out and really integral into the base game. So I really appreciate that. And I think that we would be amiss if we didn't mention that. So like you said, the port expansion covers up (laughs) the whole travel section, which is also what I normally do in the game is focus on the travel section. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to focus on the port, the port section now. So it was very different though. So when your ship's in the port, you can take the action of buying a captain and depending on how expensive they are, they cost one, two or three coins. They all can move one space for free, but to move an additional space, the one, the ones cost two cubes. The two coins cost one cube of a specific color, but you get to pick which one you buy. And then the three cubes cost one cube again of a specific color, but they can move you up to two spaces. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of it's. It just felt very different for our game. It also scored us a lot of points because you can can load up your boat with things and you can sell them. So it's kind of like a an always market kind of deal mm-hmm. because you can put things on your boat and sell them for points. You can also put a person on your boat. You can't have three things that are the same in the in the boat. So I put on I put on a person and I put on two goods. I sold the goods and I put a person into one of the monasteries. The monasteries um, let you put a person into it and score points for them. And then you can load up your empty boat with stuff before calling it back to the port. So there were things that you could get. Um, I don't remember exactly what they were, but they were like tea and some other, like, it looked like a sandwich basket. That's. <laughs> Did you feel you could ignore the port? No, I felt I couldn't. Scott thought he could, but I was like, I really don't think you can ignore this. And he was like, he was like, well, okay. And then he, we played and he was like, I should never have gone to the port. <laughs> Cause he never does travel when we play. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this was, 
horrible. I would have won if if only you know I hadn't listened to you. <laughs> but yeah, it has another way of getting points and and getting different goods, and you can get treasure maps and stuff. And then there are these life goals. So you get uh, two different goals. One is a silver one, which is you just have to have a bunch of stuff. So one, the one that I drew was the knight. You had to have three coins, the ring in your possession, and a horse. At the end of the game or at some at point? At some in the point. Game. And you flip it and you reveal it and you're like, okay, now I have five points. And then there's a gold one, which is like significantly harder to do, but they give you a little bit more points. And can you complete both? Yes, you can complete both of them and there's no penalty for not completing them. So we dealt them out and then we both sort of stared at them <laughs> and we played like maybe two rounds and then we were like, we're going to just take these out. <laughs> so we just took took them completely out because it just, it felt unnecessary. So I don't think that we would play with those again because it felt like, sure, it's trying to give you focus, but then it was the horse that I needed for the night, night thing. I could just sell the horse for five points on the one of the islands. Sure, but you can do both, right? Yeah, but so that's why it just, it felt like it was making the game a little bit muddy for us. And if you had to choose, what would be your, I understand you wouldn't use these, but what would be your favorite configuration, both? Beside this, both the expansion, so both the inn and the port, just the inn, just the port, neither of them. Honestly, probably just the base game. Just the base game, not even the inn. Okay. No. And that I think that's how Anna feels too. I mean, she humors me and we play with the inn because I like the variety, but I'm also totally fine playing without. It's interesting also that I probably like it because it gives me some confusion and some option. I think I'm a very decent player at village but unfortunately i almost always played with two monsters of it anna <laughs> and bob yeah they are uncanny in this game the way how no matter how well i think i'm doing no matter how things are firing on all cylinders and i see them struggling on one specific thing in the end we count out up the points i'm always behind it's always oh anna's at 48 bob is 45 or bob is 50 and anna's uh, 49 and i'm at 32 it's it's frustrating but i love the game and i'm i'm not used to it I, i'm not trying to brag here but i generally do well in euros and it's great i i think i find it fascinating i try i just strive to to be better and uh, sometimes i think oh i i got it i need to not ignore the market i need to rank up points in the market or oh sure obviously you need to get some points from positioning and whatever i do it seems that was not what i was supposed to do be doing and i do get the points but not enough but i really really like it so it kind of feels almost like a feld to me in the you have all of this condition yes but i think that the weird way in which your options shrink it's more common in euros that are not designed by felt felt one thing that you have is that you have your options and they tend to stay consistent right in castle burgundy you roll two dice merlin you read roll four dice bruges you play four cards a turn and what else is there i don't know macau you choose two dice every round and one card here the fact that a you don't know how many rounds will be in the game it depends on when people die b that 
it does, doesn't have that expansive feeling of Feld where you can always do a little more because you have more stuff that you accumulated, more powers, more cards in Bruges, more cards that you've played in Macau. Here, it's not. As I said, you're constantly trying to expand and contract, expand and contract, because you cannot simply wait for the end of the game to score because there is no end of the game moment of, of oh, now you score all of these things. And the fact that the cubes in different position run out when people take them to the point that you don't know what you will have available makes it for a very different experience for me, which is when I was thinking of, of presenting a game and delving into it a little bit more, one thing that I really wanted to come up with was something uh, for people listening akin to, you will like this if. And while this is certainly a euro, so you will like it if you like managing your options and if you like it, if you like considering different things, trying to score, but it's very hard for me to pinpoint it down to one specific similarity because time is a, an element, but in a very different way than say it's Tolkien. And the mini games are there, but it's definitely not Trajan. It feels very different. And so, sure, I guess that there are a lot of people who like Fell games who will also like this, but that's because all Fell games are Euro games. And so I'm trying to think of a game that is even slightly similar to this, and I have a very, very, very hard time, which I guess is what makes it so precious to me. Yeah, it's a very unique game. It has a lot of really interesting choices to be made. And you can play the game so differently from game to game. Sometimes you can completely ignore one component. And sometimes people do really well ignoring that one component. Like I often ignore the church. It's an easy way to get two points every round. So there's a lot of different ways to get to get things. And you're completely right that there's not really anything that's exactly the same as this or even really like a strong similarity. And I think that's the the mark of these designers. Uh, the brand did a few other games. Well, they did a bunch of the exit games, which are very different. But again, each exit game is definitely unique, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but also they did Murano, which I like quite a bit. Oh, I like um, Murano. And it's again... I definitely don't like it as much as Village. It has some things that irk me the wrong way, a, a little too limiting. There are certain moments in which everyone is waiting for something to happen, but is definitely very different from anything else and certainly completely different from Village. And the other one is Rages of the Ganges, which had some success when it came out, I think, a couple of years ago. I like it the first time I played it. I found that I was doing the same exact thing every time I played it further. Not like Village, which is, again, I have to completely rethink my strategy every time I play it. I adore Village. It's, it's definitely among my most played games. Certainly one of my most played Euros. And it's, it's great. I love everything about it. Have you played My Village? I have not. I was very excited about it. But then a couple of other friends, one being Bob and others that really, really like Village, all unanimously said, it's fine. It doesn't look great. First, it is in that vein, and that's a personal bias, not a, a game flaw. I tend not to look into, oh, this is a different version of the same game let's bring you the same vibe with a different mechanism i especially for games like this i think the mechanism is the great part not the you have a family trying to make it in a village that's like two million euros so the fact that you tell me oh look we kept a village the theme 
that's what you capital village and you it goes with dice and you're drafting dice also it was early in the dice drafting renaissance so probably i think that some of the things that we're seeing in i don't know grand ostiotel and all of that was not as clean there i haven't heard anyone mentioning it in their favorite games to be fair I haven't heard many people saying they hated it, which is good. It's not a failed game, but I have no particular interest. I mean, if, say, you had it and you wanted to break it out and try it, I I will certainly play it, but I have no fascination with it. Yeah, I was just interested because it says that it's, it's uh, re-implemented by this game. So I was just curious. I clicked on it and it looks not great. I will have to read this review and I'm I'm trying to bring this to a close. But again, I am so enamored with this game that I want to keep talking about it. But about my village, I will, I will have to read this review that is titled, Well, no, not my village. My village is still capitalized. Village. Uh, the other <laughs> game. And I, I, I think I would share that opinion. I mean, it's a biased uh, th- thought because I haven't played the game, but that's how it is. So this has been our review, discussion, call it whatever, of Village. Again, by the brands. 2011, Eggerspiel, then Stronghold Games. I don't know who's publishing it these days. Great components, very fine art, and great unique game. But be prepared to set up all the stickers. Prepare all the stickers and suffer. I think the first time you play this, it's, it can be very frustrating. Things run out. You are stuck with negative cubes. My may seem that you don't have time to do what you want to do. But I think if you like Euros in general, track this down. Play it at least once. I cannot promise you like it, but I can promise it will be different from anything you've played before. Yeah, for sure. So I think that leads us into our topic of the day, which is team-based games. Indeed. And when we mentioned that, when we were brainstorming um, the theme for today game, when we, we decided on, settled on this, I started thinking and I was blanking. Uh, at first I thought I had only two games to discuss. Then I started expanding my approach and thought of a few more to the point that I had to start restricting myself and excluding some things. So the reason I at least was interested in team games was to look into games where the gameplay is structured so that the interaction between teammates is as important as their interaction with the game. So, for example, I left out a lot of the one versus many teams, team games, because the one is not a team. They are just interacting with their (laughs) opponent. I also left out games that were clearly designed to be a two-player game and then split. For example, in Star Wars Rebellion, that, as you know, I really like, there is an option to play 2v2, in which basically they say, okay, use the same exact rules as the two-player game, but split their responsibilities like this, which would be akin to playing chess with someone moving the rocks and the knights and the other moving the bishop, the queen, and the pawns. That's not a team game, in my opinion. It's just, oh, we want to market it with a higher player count. Yeah. And the last thing, and here I'm getting into actually choices that were a little more substantial. I feel very strongly about these first two, but as a matter of orienting myself, I left out social deduction games, which I fear are a subgenre with a partial exception, which I will get to. Again, BGG is definitely, for example, a team game. The Resistance 
you have teams, but the fact that you don't know who they are and they have to interact with, they're often constructed as cooperatives with traders, even when the trader is more than one, if you get my meaning. I also left out the secret role games because I tried to focus more on ones where the team line is very clearly set that you know from the beginning these people are on my team and we need to work together to win. Yeah, and I completely agree. I have one exception that I will defend of when it comes to it. <laughs> yes, and not only that, but let me start with a couple of honorable mention. One is an actual honorable mention for me. I think it deserved to be mentioned and it is Flick Them Up. It is dexterity game, so that's why probably I didn't look into it. It's also partially guilty of the you could play it just 1v1 but since it's a dexterity game and not a strategy game playing it with teams does change a lot because in a strategy game you can discuss the strategy together so sure if you were playing alone you could have one of the players do exactly the same thing while in a flicking game i'd argue that that changes things because i cannot flick your piece for you or better you cannot flick your piece with me for me because no one would ever want me to flick my piece for them and the other honorable mention is not mine it's a game that's near and dear to my heart when i was 15 i haven't played it basically ever since but it's a very important step in our hobby which is axis and allies which was a mass market war game that has gone through many many iterations and editions long before i was playing games and the crucial part of that is represents World War II. And the crucial part of it is that it played in teams. One player plays Japan and is allied to Germany. And, well, the axis of Germany and Italy and all of that stuff. And a player plays the Americans and is allied with the player who plays the USSR. And the player who plays the British. And so I thought that that's probably the earliest popular game that got an impact and was played in teams and the interaction between the players is so important. But again, I first, it's an old game. It's dated, it shows its age. And the proof is that they keep going through new editions with additional rules. The designer went on Kickstarter with a giant version with a world map. But also I played it 37 times in the span of a year in around 2000. It's a game that takes two to four hours and we played it basically every Saturday for a year. So I think that was it for me. I loved it. It was a great year, but it is now in my past. I've never played that. I don't think you'd like it. I don't like history. It's not that... I mean, I know you don't, but it's also very... It's exactly what an old war game, not particularly deep, would probably... It's you... You have your set people at the beginning that represent very carefully what uh, the situation was in 1942. And at the beginning of each round, you deploy your new produced troops that come out of the pipeline. And then you choose where to attack. And you move to this battle board and each unit has their own number to hit. And you keep going until they're removed. And then you get production power, basically money, based on what you're, you have conquered. And... You buy the new stuff for the new round and you do it again. And so it's, I do understand the appeal of it's trying to represent history and not simply like risk saying, well, go attack wherever you want, the way the territories have value and where they connect and how submarines it interacts with battleships and airplanes. It's 
the entry level of war games, I guess. I'm not a war gamer, so I don't know how much the next step is. But yeah, you definitely wouldn't like it. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. So, what is your... Now that I've told you things that I don't want to play necessarily again and I don't think you would like, what is one that you actually like? So, one that I enjoy is Shadows Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And that's by designer Matthew... Aubert, published from Libelude, which is a team-based game where you are trying to move people through a city grid that has different pictures on it, and you're trying to give people clues a la Mysterium to get them to figure out which direction that they need to move around the board. Yeah, without giving too much information to your opponents also, right? Because they they can use the information that they gather from what you are doing to avoid the places where they don't want to go. Right. So it's a lot of fun. It's real time. So there's no turns. It's you are giving out clues as fast as you can to try and get these people to move around, to try and get your team to move the pawn around the board. The clue giver can give you more than one clue also to let you know that the place that you're trying to go is two spaces away. So it's it which opens it up and makes it even more difficult to try and get someone to go exactly where you want because what might be very clear to you, you know, maybe you're basing it on the color palette of the the picture or maybe you're basing it off of the fact that they both have glasses in these pictures. So it might be very clear and obvious to you, but people can misinterpret what you're trying to present to them as a clue. And also when you add in the fact that it's a racing game, um, you're trying to collect different evidence and then escape before the police get you. So you're trying to get this evidence because you're a part of a detective agency and you're trying to get this evidence without running into the police. So you're trying to get these different things and then you're trying to escape. So when you put in the racing element, it adds this added pressure where you're, you know, if you had maybe five minutes to sit there and analyze and look and say, okay, well, this one looks like this one. So maybe if I do this, then, you know, maybe then that would be right. Oh no, maybe it's this. No, you don't have time for that. (laughs) you are racing so you have to look at it you have to go with your gut you have to move you have to get through so it's a lot of fun i haven't played it very often but i i do really enjoy that game so i played it only with you so only that once i wanted to like it more so it's by libelud which means obviously that has it has wonderful art yep the art is by m81 studio and it has these charming animals in anthropomorphic attitudes in a very vibrant Amsterdam, actually. And I like code names. I like Mysterium. This seem to bring them together and that that real-time element that I like. In the end, I felt like the three things didn't particularly mesh together well because that thing that you mentioned of, oh, I interpreted this for one thing and you interpreted it for another one, it works very well in Mysterium where you're all working together. And so you go, oh, silly you. It can be very frustrating in a game where the other team keeps doing stuff. And I personally did well when we played, but I remember other people at the table being quite frustrated. So I will not mind trying it again also because it's very short, but I 
maybe I was expecting too much for it. And in general, it's in that vein of party games where you're absolutely right, they are 100% team games, but I guess I didn't think about them. Things like code names, which I really, really like, and I didn't consider for this list. I, sh- I should have. I don't know where they would have landed on, but so my number three, I mentioned a moment ago that I'm not a war gamer, and that is true, and that's probably why I like 7075 Rebellion so much. And all of that line, they have another one about uh, Canada, but the only other one I tried is 878 Vikings. So these are very light war games, not like Axis and Allies, where you have all of these different units that are trying to simulate a different theater of war. These are very simple games where the troops are cubes, and you basically roll different dice to resolve the different troops. And the, the concept is very clever. It's a 2v2 game in which you are 100% 100% allied, but the way you move your troops around is a little tricky. You can only move troops that contain at least one of your units. And so you are sometimes dividing the units not only based on what would be strong in that moment, but also to give both players the option to activate. 7075 is obviously about the War of Independence, uh, the American Revolution, and you are trying to take control of the different colonies. So for me, I moved to New England. And so I, it's nice to see, oh, Rhode Island has its own spot, which is different from Boston even being so close. And so it, it was a good experience thematically, but also I was a little wary because I usually don't play war games, but it's fast enough, quick enough. This I actually think you might like. You wouldn't like the, the fact that the units are cubes, but it's needed. It's actually needed because you you spend them, you move them around in a way that minis would probably not be too conducive to. It has a very interesting thing where you play in teams, and this would have been useful also for our episode on turn order because there is a pawn, a, a cube for each player in a bag, and every round you draw the four cubes from the bag one at a time, and so not only you could have two turns and then I could have, your team could have two turns and then my turn could have two turns or they could intertwine, but you don't know in advance. So when I'm playing my turn, if I'm the first in the round, I don't know if I'm setting up my ally to break through the things that I make weaker or if I have to consider that maybe the other team will get the next cube and push back. And that's really interesting. I find it a very interesting way of dealing with a team-based approach. But there is also a hand of cards that you cannot simply show to your partner. So you have the, you are doing your own thing, but also this this time interaction, which I like. Yeah, I think that the theme of it would just completely push it out of my interest. Because you prefer being dominated by a monarch. I do understand that. Um, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't like freedom and independence. Uh, but right. uh, no. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, the theme is not... Maybe you would like the Viking one more. It's still probably. kind of historical, but you have giant groups of Viking roaming the country land, so there is some violence and devastation, so that could be fun. <laughs> And it has miniatures. Oh, so yeah, that that I would be willing to play that one. Okay, I don't own any of these. But, oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> okay, so for my number two, you've already mentioned it, but it is Codenames. It's a great game. So in Codenames by, I don't know how to say their name. 
Vlada Svatil from Czech Games Edition. This game is probably the new base level. How we were talking in a previous podcast about how like life and Monopoly and things like that were your intro, basic, basic, basic intro of mass-produced games that sort of everyone had played or everyone has owned a copy at some point. And I think that this game is becoming that. Codenames has become this very accessible hobby game that is played in teams. You're trying to get people to guess certain clues by giving them a one-word clue to and a number to indicate how many different clues your clue or how many different cards your clue relates to. And you're trying to get them to guess certain spaces. There are spaces that are blank that do nothing for you. There are spaces that are for the opposite team. And then there's one space that if you pick it, you completely lose the game. <laughs> so the assassin. The assassin. So there's a lot of tension in the game. Because especially if one team starts to like run away with it, you can definitely feel more pressure to make more guesses. Or if you're the clue giver to give a more radical clue, like, oh, you know, this relates to radishes, all six clues or whatever (laughs) relate to radishes. So you can feel that desperation and that trying to, you know, work together to try and give your teammates as many opportunities as you can to get the correct answers so but like i was saying um i feel like it is now becoming one of the most like popular introductory hobby games yeah it's very accessible it can be sometimes easier sometimes harder it's easier to find a clue that connects i don't know five animals and you go animals five and sometimes people go with some weird connections and but when you do go with the weird connection people get it that's amazing you i heard someone saying that Codenames is a game that always makes you feel smart. Because if you don't get it, it's, well, we simply think differently. But when you do get it, it's, oh, yes, you got my my clue and my reference. It's a game that can be fragile a little bit, especially if it happens that you are mismatched. If two people know each other very well and other two are unknown to each other, you should not pair up in those teams, right? Or things like that. And also, there is... Often when you explain it to people, if you let them do it, especially people who are not used to games, they tend to fall down onto, I'll give you one clue for one word and you will give a clue for one word. And I think that shouldn't be in the rules because that makes it not for not a game. And I wonder if someone tried it like that, they would think it's a very, very dumb game. And so sometimes you have to try and stretch and finding two that connect to each other is tough. But I think it's an excellent game. Maybe what didn't make me include it was the disparity of role between the clue giver and the guessers. So there are two teams, but they're basically four functions in the game. The clue giver, and but it is a great game. Um, also, similar to Life and Monopoly and Risk and all that, this game is now very available in like general distribution such as Walmart and Target and things like that. But also, they've re-implemented this and rethemed it over and over and over. So you have the Disney one, you have the two-player version that's cooperative, you have the Harry Potter version, the Marvel version, the Simpsons version. You also have the Pictures version, which 
I like a lot where you're trying to give clues, but they're instead of giving them about specific specific words, you're giving them about pictures that are very odd and not just like a sun. It's like a cat wearing ice cream earmuffs and skating and fishing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good one. I definitely prefer regular code names to code name pictures. So I almost never play code name pictures, but I always say that if code names wasn't there, probably code name pictures would be atop my list of party games. So it's strange to me because I almost never play it, but I think it's a great game. So it is it is interesting. We should play that next time. Oh, and Code Names is one of two three games with Anabi and Love Letter of which I always own multiple copies at any point because I want to be able, if someone, especially who's not much into games, tries it and likes it, go, here you go. You have a copy. Play it when you go home. It's cheap. It's easy to do. I couldn't do that with, I don't know, a blood rage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's great. Funny enough, li- life is was not a thing where I grew up. Oh, really? I had no idea what it was when people mentioned it alongside Monopoly and Risk and even... Uh, cheesy or whatever it's called all of those games yeah uh, i know exactly what they're talking about a life i now i have been living in the u.s for a while now so i have a vague idea with the spinner and the simply moving along the track and see what happens i guess but i have i wouldn't recognize it from a picture if there is no spinner uh, the other one that i have not ever seen in person or really know what it is is candyland what <laughs> yep, those two games are not a thing where I grew up. So to me, when they go, sure, it's like Candyland and Life and Monopoly and Race, kind of like some of these are not like the other. <laughs> I that I think that's probably the first game that I ever played was Candyland. I think that's common for a lot of people. Yeah. So my number two, it's a game that we mentioned before for the um, real-time elements. And it's Captain Sonar. As I mentioned before, I think Space Cadets Dice Duel could be a good replacement, but I do prefer Captain Sonar. We have mentioned that before. You are basically simulating being in a submarine. One person is the captain, one person is the navigator, one person is the engineer, one person is the weapon specialist. Each has their own very different roles. The captain is managing what they do, deciding when to shoot, deciding where to go. The radio specialist is trying to map on a blank map where the other submarine is by following what they are announcing that they are doing. And the engineer is trying to make sure that the artificially created, every time you move, you need to create the problem and there are certain ways to resolve them. And the weapon engineer is loading up the different weapons and things. And they can only do it when the submarine goes in a certain direction. So to ready the torpedoes, you need to go east or something like that, which is a necessary abstraction, but it works very well. And you need everyone to be on top of it because you can know exactly where the opponents are, but if you cannot get there and shoot at them, you do nothing. Or you can be very ready to shoot at them, but if you cannot avoid them and make sure that you don't only have the torpedo loaded, but the torpedo system is working, you are not going to win. And so while there are roles that are more noticeable, you need everyone to be on top of everything. It's tricky to play because you probably want to play 4v4 or at least 3v3. And it's a little disconcerting to people at the beginning, but I think it's great and it really relies on a team. And not only on everyone being on top of their things, but also on being a well 
synchronized team that works well together. And I haven't played it in a while now, first because conventions were obliterated, but also because I hadn't played it in my last round of conventions, but it was it was always a great experience to me. Yeah, so my last one is a 1v all game, which I know you said you didn't... That's my choice, not yours. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, I picked Not Alone. Oh, yeah. Have you played it? I played it. I want to play it again. Because I liked it, but we played with three. So it was clearly not as good as it could have been. And I still liked it. So it's a game where one person is playing a creature because you've, you and your friends have crash landed on a mysterious planet. And it's called Artemia, I think. And you are trying to get things done to get the ship back to where you can escape. The creature is trying to hunt the people down and slow their process down in order to assimilate them to the planet. So you're trying they're trying to uh they're working against each other to try and go to different areas. It's a bit of hand management because you're trying to go to certain areas. There's free communication between the team players, but if but it's not like separate. So the creature is sitting there listening to you talk. So the, it's not a game where it's limited per se what you can say to your teammates but it is obviously you don't want to say i'm gonna go here you go there because then the the person who is playing the creature is like oh okay well i guess that's also where i'm going (laughs) so it's fun to try and like bluff and like double bluff to say oh i'm going here or no we should go there or what makes sense or what do we need to do and the creature has a lot of different little like powers that they can use and it's so much fun and um they also have a kickstarter right now oh i will check that out i really like not alone um again despite playing with three players which is clearly not how it's meant to to be played because the creature is only chasing down two people while i think that one of the core pool of the game is that you are outnumbering the creature so everyone will be doing something and he has to go for or they have to go for what the target that they want to to choose they think is doing and things like that i must say that you were mentioning the planet and all of the game as this very present art i didn't feel the theme at all it could have been anything where there is someone trying to find you because the way the card works yes each location lets you do something but it's very arbitrary it doesn't feel very thematic oh if you go to the river you can play two place cards and if you go to the rack you can move the counter one space back and things like that um very mechanical mm-hmm. but I do like mechanical games. Like <laughs> code names is definitely not thematic. Yeah, sure, you are trying to find the agent, but it's all about what you do. And this is the same. Just don't go into it expecting a nemesis. Well, I know you don't like it, but a, <laughs> a big science fiction with aliens experience of being hunted or a fury of Dracula kind of experience. This is really, I'm trying to match with the card that I choose, the card that I think you have chosen. That's yeah. That's the level of thematicness, but it's colorful, it's bright, it's not too long, it's easy to explain, and it's one of those that I can see. Again, I don't know much. I would like it in the f- full game. I would like to try it, but I can see for someone who likes it is one of those that even if the game plays a little bit the same every time, the fact that it's all about decisions 
you could replay this an incredible number of times. It's like the resistance or one night to live in a werewolf for sure. The replayability doesn't stem from the var- variance in the game, but from simply the fact that you are trying to interpret what the next player is going to do. So Yeah. And this game is by Lane Massan and from Geek Attitude Games. Yeah, it's one of those with a bunch of different <laughs> editions for the different places, I guess. So, my number one, and as I said, I violated my own rule a little bit because it's it is one where identities are secret. It's Incognito by Leo Colovini and Alex Randolph was first published, I think, in 1988. That surprises me. The versions that I have is from 2013, RS Games. And it's a game set in Venice, where and it's incognito with a K. I-N-K-O-G-N-I-T-O. And you have... Each player has four pieces. That is the tall piece, the short piece, the fat piece, and the thin piece. And they look the same. They're different in color. On your turn, you basically roll some dice. Physically, you shake a mask individual that is called the nun because it looks like a nun. Well, not in the rules, but I will uncause it that. And certain colored uh, spheres come out. So, But you're basically drawing something from a bag or rolling some dice. So there is this randomizer that determines what kind of actions you can do. You're always moving pieces, but maybe you can move them by sea or you can move them by land or you can move one of your opponent's pieces. Anyhow, every time during your turn, one of your pieces meets another player's piece, you get to ask them a question. You can ask them about their build or you can ask them about their identity. And so they will give you three cards of which two must be of the thing that you are asking. And so you're trying to identify which one is their piece among the four. One represents you. You get a card at the beginning of the game that tells you that. And you're trying to determine whether they are your teammate or not. There are four characters in the game, the the Cornell and the Baron and the Secret Agent and the Madame or something like that. And so if you give me tall piece and madame and the cornell, I know that at least one of those is true. And so I mark it down so it's a deduction game. But the point is that all you're doing is trying to determine the team. It's not like in Battlestar Galactica where you are also taking care of the ship or it's not like in the resistance where you are contributing to the mission. Here there is no cooperative moment. It's all about Asking question, deducing from questions that are asking and from the answer you're getting in visual form, who is what? And as soon as you are reasonably certain that the other player is in your team, you slip them when they ask you something. One of the cards and the back of the cards are all the same, obviously. You can give them the mission. And by that, if they also understood who they who you are, and they usually do because you are trusting them, you determine what you need to do, which is bring some piece on top of some other piece, which often requires you to also know what other players' pieces are. So it's a deduction game mixed with a team game. And I find it very charming. It's very unique. It only plays with four players. Five, you add a weird thing that doesn't really work. And three, obviously, cannot work. But it's really, really different is not a game I would play often because there is not that much to it. You are marking off things and trying to narrow down the possibilities until you know with reasonable certainty who is what. Uh, It's quick. It is 
extremely simple to explain, but very tricky to play right, because as usual with this elimination of clues games, if you go very slow, you will get there, but you won't win the game. You have sometimes to go beyond the, what you know for certain and try to go to the why they gave me this, why this person asked that, would they do this if they were that? And I really like it. And again, it's uh, by Leo Colovini and Alex Randolph. And I think it is the most team based of team games. Two things. One, in true Jackie fashion, this game is very out of print. I apologize. <laughs> so if people are interested in it, find someone who has it because it's very expensive. The other thing is, I feel like I'm not good at the second level of what you were describing. So I'm really good at the part where you're trying to deduce what people are. But the level where you're talking about, oh, why did they give me this specific card this time? Or why did they do this? That level of sharing information, I often don't, it doesn't click for me, but it clicks after, like when someone explains it. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense now. But I think that's why I do, don't do as well as, as in games like Hanabi, mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't <laughs> infer those things very easily. But no, this game, this game is a lot of fun. I do like the, the secret roles of the game or the secret identity. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, I've, I think I've only played it once, but it was definitely one that I would like to revisit at some point. Yeah, and as I said, not only... I I didn't know it was rare and out of print. Although, if someone really wanted it, I'm seeing that particularly in Europe, but also for American gamers, on BGG Marketplace, they go for between $15 and $35. So it's not that it's a sought-after rare game, it's just that it's old. But if someone really wanted it, it's easy to acquire. But I'm not, I think it's a better team game than it is a good game. It's a game that I have owned for years and I've played five times. And I, it feels about right. I think it's time to play it again for me. But it's not a game that I could see playing even every month because it has a limited scope. But for that limited scope, it's very nice. Although I must say that I think. I tend to introduce to you a lot of out-of-print games, not necessarily on the podcast. That's true. That's true. I am trying to cost you as much money as I can. (laughs) You're stimulating the economy. Exactly. There is the stimulus check, and then there is Jack trying to to make (laughs) you spend your hard-earned monies. So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about team games in general. I feel that what I was saying about Incognito extend to, to... to the other games I mentioned. They are games that I don't want to play all the time. Games that really are based in the team. They are for the experience of the team. I must say that the one game, if you had asked me a few months ago, what I think would have ended up here would have been Cerebria by Mind Clash. If we had ever played it, (laughs) I'm 100% certain that it would be there because it's, it's a gorgeous game. It's just very, very 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 heavy but it looks gorgeous i i still want to play it i still think that it needs to be played yeah and i think we tried to learn it basically during a game day we went like oh we should try and read through the rules and it's one of those games that and that i do think it's a flaw the game uh, leans too much into its theme to the point that sometimes it's hard to understand the rules because everything is 
in game terms. So there are no meeples and resources and cards, but there are psychic dimensions and you hold your hand of possible intervention and essences. Yeah, and I think that shouldn't be the way I like team to flow into rules, yeah. but it looks very colorful. I must say that from what I saw of the rules, it looks like it's a very complicated ensemble to bring, as it is often the case with team games, and not that deep. I don't expect it to be as deep as Anachrony that we both really, really like, and Tricarion, which I like considerably less, but it's still very deep, very thoughtful. But we'll see. So for me, 7075 Rebellion series, Captain Sonor and Incognito. And for you, you had Shadow over Amsterdam, Code Names, and Not Alone. These are our team games. Let us know what you think, what whether you even play team games, whether you dislike them because you don't like to share your brilliance with other people, or vice versa, if you find comforting that uh, you can face the enemy together. As usual, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for those of you who have reached out with uh, comments on BGG, on Facebook. You can find us on both. We are also on Instagram and on gmail always at board game gambit and we try to publish every week we have been decent we're trying to to get on schedule consider subscribing sharing liking uh, leaving a review on itunes whatever you kids do on the internet and thank you very much for listening and thank you nathan for another great conversation yes and so that is our episode. Uh, signing out, I'm Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.